0: underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of
1: doctors and hospitals get more cool facts about united healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com
2: that's yeah they have asked for that really France are going to the world Cup. get
1: over this fellow ronaldo is a cop boom 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 foul boom, boom boom yellow card
2: Ah, it's like a oh, I have to use mindy language. And I suggest you show talk and show more football, good luck. I don't draw teacups. It's not my style. I Think I'd rather throw punches.
0: What you doing down here, you shorny man? Hello and welcome to a bank holiday Monday edition of the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Ken Murph, great to see your shiny, happy faces on a bank holiday. Good to see you, hello Look, there, Kenny. I sh- I, if you don't mind me mentioning something about your face, Murph, go on. I'm looking at the moment. It seems like Halloween never ends for Kieran Murphy again.
3: Yeah, so, there's uh, a party on the
0: top of my laptop, and <laughs> yeah. everyone's invited. So you have a full mustache at the yeah. moment, yeah. and it's uh, it's October. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think it's uh, November. So you can maybe explain what what's going on. Here.
3: Well, I went to a fancy dress party on uh, Saturday night. You were there, on. You there. were there, Ken. Mm-hmm. Um, I went dressed as Freddie Mercury. It was by common Freddie Mercury from Live Aid, 1985. Mm. Uh, it was by by common consent. One of the great fancy dress outfits of all time. Uh, my mustache, <laughs> my mustache it got a lot of compliments. I woke up yesterday morning, a little hungover, yeah. looked at myself in the mirror and said, this mustache is about the best thing about me right now. Yeah, <laughs> when I
0: saw a photo, a photo was sent on to me of you in that state and there wasn't yeah. much good about it. I'm, no, no, I won't lie. No, I, think so, uh,
2: it, yeah, I think it's good. I'd, so I'd keep to, it. I yeah, think it's a keeper. I, I, I know. Not I, enough people have mustaches these days.
3: Yeah. I, I I think I'm certainly going to keep it for like
0: two days. Well, you see, I think yeah, the pressure's going to start when tomorrow, Tuesday, when you know normal people, yeah, office workers are back and yeah. you're walking in town is busy. At the moment, nobody's really looking. There's not many people around, to be honest yeah. with you. I haven't, it's quite quiet. Oh T- yeah, tourists. Like Twenty-eight
2: days later, coming into town this morning. Hmm. I, I was thinking, where is everybody? I think
0: it's because the marathon was on on the Sunday this year as well. Yeah. it used to be on the bank holiday Monday, so maybe that changed things.
2: For, oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, normally you wouldn't even be getting in there again. It's no
2: chocolate. block.
0: Yeah, yeah e- either way, on you're keeping the I'm, tash. no. I'm going to make a decision
3: later in the week. I don't think I need to make a call on this right now.
0: We know Ken here isn't one to back down to editorial pressure from our listeners. I mean, it's just, there's no way that the content of this podcast could ever be swayed by, I don't know, one mildly a angry email. Of
3: emails, or in fact, just one email.
0: Let's just say today's a good day for Evan Byrne, a Spurs supporting Irishman living in London, whose email we read out last week, rebuking us for our, our obsession with Mourinho and Pep and Klopp at the expense of Pochettino and his merry band of hard grafters there mm. in North London. Uh, held to a draw at the weekend by Lesser. Good enough, Ken, for you to place him on the agenda with Miguel today. Well, I just felt it was time,
2: you know. It was time. Hmm. Uh, I I
3: hope that you you, you take the sort of approach with Evan now uh, that uh, a teacher would have done if he had found a student smoking a cigarette. Like, Hmm. give him the full packet of cigarettes. You're you're (laughs) supposed to sit there now and smoke that entire packet of cigarettes. Oh, so just
0: non-stop spurs.
3: Non-stop spurs there for the next three months. See how Evan likes it then. I think he
0: probably will like it quite a lot. Well, yeah, maybe.
2: Well, yeah, look, we're going to I talk I thought that was
3: a hole in the whole go smoke this, the entire packet of cigarettes theory as well, to be fair, but I, maybe I digress.
2: I mean, I, I think they are an interesting team to talk about. You know, they... Um, are they irresistible force or immovable object? Probably more immovable object than, than irresistible force at the moment. Their team, his attacking game plan, is all about beating their heads against a brick wall until either the bricks crumble or they lose consciousness. And uh, it's worked for them. It's wor- it's, worked for- it's taken them a certain distance, but will it take them the distance? And that's the question we'll put to Miguel. We will indeed after the report on sport. So, first, I guess we'll talk a little bit about uh, something we mentioned last week, which is Sergio Aguero's struggle at Manchester City. Uh, Aguero's struggle now is 13 goals in 13 games, <laughs> two brilliant goals against West Brom. Um as Manchester City uh, well won that one pretty convincingly 4-0. Uh I don't know if you saw the West Brom fans chanting. Um they were singing we've got the ball, you know, to the, the sort of Ronaldo tune. We've got the ball, we've got the ball. And then obviously they wouldn't have the ball and they'd sing We've lost the ball. We've lost the ball, and that went on for a long time. <laughs> Is it, what else can you do as a West Brom supporter? Where Manchester City are just, um, you know, cruelly, cruelly exposing the gulf between your two sides, and and it feels like more. It feels like more than just the gulf between two football teams. It's the gulf almost between, you know,
3: like twenty years or something as well, <laughs> you know, as Greg well as ability, time also time.
2: Yeah, this. Uh, you know this sort of super elite. Uh, you know Pep Guardiola comes to town. Things just things just break his way, don't they? Town mouse and country mouse, and town mouse is lording it again uh, over over poor old West Brom. James McLean outstanding for West Brom. Sergio Aguero even arguably a little more outstanding for Manchester City. Uh, the first goal, for quite a typical Aguero goal. Uh, running in behind the defence and and finishing second goal was just amazing. I mean, he just this is a player who had kind of oh felt feeling still feeling the surge of relief from the first goal, which was really evident. I thought in his celebration. Um,
0: oh, yeah, I was struck by that as well. Yeah, I was, I was like, why is it so... Oh, yeah, I suppose he has, was dropped. <laughs> yeah, And also the team wasn't going particularly well, so it probably is quite a big goal. But it seemed like he was celebrating like it was a Manchester derby
2: or something. Sergio, second string Aguero. Mm-hmm. Literally never been second string for anything in his entire life. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the Argentina team. He's probably sat on the bench for them a few times. They had quite a lot of good strikers at one point. Um, but, you know certainly not for any of the teams that he was mainly playing for. He's always been there, probably the best player in his team. So, a pretty difficult thing to get your head around. Um, Second goal, anyway, brilliant. Uh, And the work that he was doing around the pitch, you know, running around the pitch, frantically putting in tackles, I felt so sorry for him. He's just not built for that type of game. I mean, he can't possibly keep that up, you know? He's got those chunky, explosive little hamstrings, you know? (laughs) Like his hamstrings are about three or four inches long, you know what I mean. He's not—he's got incredible explosive uh, power and runs out of energy after ninety seconds of running. You know,
0: those would be pretty short hamstrings. If yeah, only three to four,
2: three to four inches. But look, that's that's how he's able to 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 rocket that ball into the back of the net from twenty yards with you know zero backlift. But you know, he's don't—he's not a long distance runner. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He's not one of those one of those guys in the box. He's in that level with the best, says Guardiola, showing his maddening ability to praise a player while simultaneously making them feel really bad about themselves. <laughs> I mean, obviously, everybody knows what he's saying when he says in the box he's, he's in that level with the best. And he also says um, he has to convince because he's one of the nicest players I've trained in my career. He's a pleasure to work with, but he has to believe how good he is. Without him, we cannot achieve our targets. It's impossible. That's an interesting thing to say. One of the nicest players. I think what he means... I mean, City are lucky that Sergio Aguero is such a nice guy. Uh, by which Guardiola means, I think, a relaxed guy. A little bit in the in the style of Eden Hazard at Chelsea.
0: Less Luis Suarez, more Eden Hazard.
2: Absolutely. I think Luis Suarez would have clawed his way out of Man City two seasons, three seasons ago, you know? He would have... He, he, he I think he has that kind of ambition in terms of, I, w- I want to play for one of the top clubs in the world, which Manchester City, to be fair, aren't. I mean, maybe one one day, you know? I mean, the thing is, what City have managed to hold on to a player like Aguero, who maybe at, at some point everyone assumed would be, you know, a Real Madrid player or a Barcelona player. And he's not. He's still a Manchester City player. And I think that has to do with his kind of, you know, he's basically a guy who enjoys his football and... Yeah, I didn't want to think too much about it after that he's not hes not like obsessed with with improving in every game I don't think he is and that's why Manchester City still have him uh, have a player as standard as him and that's what Pep Guardiola doesn't like about him
0: I don't think though if you're making the comparison with Hazard uh, I don't think he drifts out of you, know, you hear players drifting in and out of games. I mean, Hazard drifts in and out of entire seasons when it suits him. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, he just there's something wrong with him in, term, in that in, in the way he approaches the game. Yeah. Whereas I don't think that is the case with Aguero. Do you not think that that he is practicing as hard as everybody else? He is as obsessed with everyone else. He just has a calmer demeanor than some
2: of them. Uh, you, Aguero or Hazard? Uh, Aguero. Well, Aguero, is, I think he I think he works at what he likes to work at. And then he's scoring goals. He's yeah, he's good at that. And then he's kind of like, well, that's what I do. So the rest of you do the rest of it, and I'll do the bit in the penalty area. And Guardiola's saying, no,
0: it's not 1997 anymore.
2: Yeah, we can't. I, I don't. I won't carry a player like you uh, because talented though you may be, your attitude is infectious. And I don't just mean your good vibes. <laughs> I mean, I mean your habit of letting yourself off the hook is an infectious thing. He
0: has said this on more than one occasion this season, variations of this same thing, that mm. he's yeah, great, you know he was really good. That that goal or two goals he scored were great. But just needs to realize how good he can be. Yeah. Know, I think he's putting it up to him in as polite a way as he can.
2: Yeah, how good he can be i.e. to 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 be more complete in what in what you demand of yourself. Don't just allow yourself. The only thing is that Sergio Aguero is an experienced player who well knows what he can handle, you know, physically what he can handle. I just Think that if he's kind of charging around, um, charging around, making tackles, I expect him to get injured, and it to ultimately affect his goal-scoring form. Because the reason that he hangs around not doing any of that is because he retains the ability to be explosive when 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 he gets a chance, Mm -hmm. and that's what like that's what all uh, really great goal scorers do. You know, they they don't waste energy chasing around after lost causes. Lionel Messi, more than anybody, I mean, remember that that Messi at Guardiola eventually became a kind of difficult player. Messi at Barcelona, I should say, when Guardiola was still there, became a difficult player for Guardiola to manage. I mean, there were various stories about Messi, kind of little things that he would do to show who was really in charge. You know? Drinking cans of Coke and stuff. Oh, I don't think you should drink that kind of Coke. And then, I wish I had a can of coke here just so I could do the sound effect. What would happen basically was, <laughs> then Messi would put the can of coke down and, and kind of Guardiola would be like, "What am I going to do? You know,
0: what can I do?" That can kind of coke looks tasty, nice, actually. Can I wouldn't mind one myself. Yes, right
3: this you is actually what, pour me one that as well. Will you this please? is
2: what Messi was doing, just making full eye contact with Guardiola during the whole process. <laughs> Just looking over the brim <laughs> of his glass as he was drinking it. No, please, manager, continue. Sorry, what were you saying? What were you saying? You Something
3: said- about I should have some more cans of Coca-Cola. Okay, then.
2: Or like when he was left on the bench, you know, he he didn't want to play. That He didn't come to training, you know, the next day, whatever. These these kinds of things. So just, you only have to do a couple of those things. For everyone to know who's really in charge. And, you know, Guardiola, I think, had to accept, well, this player is beyond my... You know, I, I, he's he's better than me. He's more important to the club than I am. So, pff, what can I do? You know, it's, he he always talks about Messi. Well, he's the best. You know, he's nobody can touch him. Um But he did. When, when you look at uh, what Messi does in the field, he didn't run around. You know, he's he used to do a bit of counter pressing when he was like twenty one. He quickly grew out of that stuff, and you know, he didn't. You didn't see him doing a lot of counter pressing when he scored like seventy three goals. When was it seventy three or seventy six? I mean, over seventy goals. Um, so, but I don't know if Aguero was necessarily quite in the messy calibre, or even if he would behave that way. You know, he's clearly. I think you could see from his demeanour the other day that he's he's a little bit worried about this situation. He kind of feels as though he really has to try and match up. So he's he's going with it for the moment. We'll see how long it lasts. You were impressed by Jurgen Klopp's boys. Well, I think everyone is impressed. I mean, this is. They were playing fantastic stuff. I mean, I'm sure. sure compared them to Newcastle. Newcastle in the so-close season of 95-96. Uh, which is, this, you know, I mean, I think I think he meant it as a compliment.
0: Oh, he definitely did, yeah. Their attacking verve is what he was talking about.
2: Attacking verve and defensive, devil-may-care, you know, you score four, we'll score five uh, attitude. Um, uh, Jurgen Klopp, can you win the league? I have no idea. Says uh, charming, ingenue, Jurgen Klopp. Uh, <laughs> you know, that he's he's just walking around grinning all the time, not really knowing anything. And uh, somehow this team is just playing great football and he's just he's just willing them on to to continue for his own. It's my first he's just willing to
3: get, you know, booked by the Bronco. He's just <laughs> hanging on for dear life.
2: I have no idea what to do to win the Premier League, um, says Jurgen Klopp, with a smile that tells you he's really not that serious a guy you know he's a guy who smiles how could he possibly be a, quite serious underneath all that you know he was talking about how players sometimes players are left out and sometimes he was talking about Divock Origi you know well you know Divock is at a certain level and you know he's, he's doing well and we all know he's good and you know, he's unhappy about being left out of the team that's why he's got that thing between his uh, nose and his chin we can always talk about it and um, and just he moustache too he moustache too uh, he's clean-shaven at the moment, I think, or he, Uh But, you you know, imagine what it would be like actually going to Jürgen Klopp's office to have a conversation. Do you think you'd get anywhere?
3: No, you'd probably f- uh, feel better at the end of the conversation than you did at the start, though.
2: Would you, though? I don't yeah, know if you even would.
3: Whack you across the back and welcome you to his office and then slap you on the tie and then Machine send you back. Machine gun at-
2: you with words. Yeah. And then send you away. And you'd be like, what just happened in there? I, d- I actually don't know what he said. He talked for five minutes. And I'm not quite sure what he meant. I just knew that I suppose I had to. Sh- I may have to shut up for the next six weeks. Um, but Alan Pardew, Alan Pardew was full of compliments. I mean, sometimes managers who have who've taken a bit of a beating at home talk about the team they've just played as being the best in the world because, you know, it's, it's there's no shame in listening to an outfit like that. But he was unusually gushing in his praise. I thought, you know, they're a bit special. Uh, you know, talking about how Liverpool's play and... Tight areas kept using the word tight, one of his favorite words. Tight passing, tight situations were usually tight at the back. Uh, <laughs> but uh, have, have, it was demoralizing for Palace because they kept sort of they thought they had kind of panned the Berlin and suddenly they're away with the ball. And so, no, um, he says, um, there's speed, the runners are coming from every angle, they've got fantastic players. Firmino plays the striker's role really clever. You don't know where he is. It's unnatural for center house. He pulls you around, pops up in the midfield. Then when he's in midfield, someone else replaces him. It's like a piston in an engine working there, says you. The it's like a piston sliding back and forth in an engine. Uh, and you could see a bit of that. Uh, for instance, the third or the fourth goal, the Firmino goal. Um, it looked, You're looking and like, go, how did that... How did that happen? Henderson gets the ball in midfield, looks up, plays a straight pass, rolls a straight ball, goes straight through the, the you know, perpendicular to the back line, goes straight through Firmino, you know, just chips it over the goalkeeper, whips off his shirt instantly before the ball hits the net. We'll miss a game at some point because of this. You know, you, you, why are you doing that? But you could then see that in fact the reason this happened was Adam Lall- 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 Lallana had been playing, had been sort of left side of the attack and just ran basically across the face of the defense so that the left-sided central defender saw him and was basically distracted by him, kind of uh, followed him out a little bit to the left. And then suddenly Firmino was already moving into that space. I mean, it's clearly the kind of stuff that they do. I mean, I saw Shearer said something like, I think he just says to them, go out there and enjoy yourselves. Now, he doesn't say that because unless like Adam, well, maybe Adam Lallana enjoys himself by... This type of very choreographed off the ball running that looks like an action, looks like kind of a a machine with moving parts. Maybe that's how Adam Ladana has fun. But I honestly think that it looks as though he's been coached to do that. Like that, these players are actually showing all the signs of a coach who's saying, Right, this is how we're going to attack. You know, you're going to play up front, but you're not really up front. You move back, but when you move back, you two guys. Are running past him, so the defenders move this way. You're already going the other direction. This is happening all over the field, all the time. That's not random. That is not the result of players saying, of of a manager saying to players, "Have fun, express yourself." It's not. It's, it's like a team that's playing at a really high level. It Mm -hmm. takes a lot of practice to get that way. It doesn't doesn't just happen because you're you feel good on the day. You know, it's it's they're going really well at the moment. It's good
0: management, uh though. Speak as though it is. You know, there's no harm.
2: He, oh no, no, he, no, no, no! Well, it wasn't him. It wasn't Klopp. He said that it was. Yeah. It was Shearer. He was. He oh, was analyzing okay,
0: yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But even the way Klopp, you know, you know said at the start, the Klopp's kind of go. Like, oh, I don't know. This is just the way. This is just the way it goes. It's great. What am I to do? You know, it's kind of a. It's. It's a little bit. I don't want to be hammering his, uh, his previous Liverpool manager, um, Brendan Rodgers. But you know, there's. You can have. You can take so much of a manager claiming. You know, explaining their masterpieces all the time. I kind of like the idea of it's not that Klopp doesn't live up to his own myth either, but mm. he goes out, he goes about it in a slightly more uh, charming manner. I would say.
2: Yeah, I mean, he he he's he's always being self-effacing in a way that you know it's like, well, yeah, you know, he's got a lot to be. You know, he's he's self-effacing all the time. You know what I mean? He's always playing down his own greatness <laughs> <laughs> a little too much, so. <laughs> but, but you know, it is. I I still think it's better than like that sort of. You know, the old, the old, I mean, Rogers was going completely the other direction. Yeah. Rogers was like, was trying to construct a myth, you know, in, in sort of everywhere. It was, you can't do that yourself. You have to let other people do that for you. There's no other way that it happens. No. You can't, you
0: know. Just on the stupidity you described it there as of Firmino taking off his top, knowing that mm. he was going to get booked. Uh, Richard Deitch is a Sports Illustrated guy, kind of a media analyst. Uh, interesting, if you're of any interest at all in American sport, he's a pretty good guy to follow on Twitter. He said, talking about an incident in the NFL over the weekend, instead of handing out penalty flags, the NFL should thank every player that celebrates a scoring play. They are literally promoting your game. Like the NFL have clamped down big time on any sort of celebration, really, that, that's a little bit too risque or a little bit anything. Really. Why, though? I've No idea. but they're Well, I do have an idea. It's their... Incredibly infuriating idea of themselves as this sort of bastion of moral standards,
2: like some kind of like a branch of the Marine Corps. Yeah. yeah. So if you do something that's a little
0: bit particularly suggestive, dancing, you know, this oh, is the they'll talk about dancing. it's like, oh, you don't
2: kind of in. anything a little bit. Are we saying a little bit urban here? Uh, possibly. Suggesting
3: yeah. 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 Urban's a very good word for it. I think you've struck on the exact problem. That's what's that, going on. And Dice yeah, yeah, actually yeah. retweets somebody. See, else, a, lot, a lot of the it. NFL guys, owners, and that they wouldn't be urban at all. No. More
2: country club. Yeah,
0: Deitch says that uh, he retweeted somebody else who says the NFL should give a ten thousand dollar bonus to the player who's the best celebration each week. I'm dead serious. <laughs> so why about give how about do that in the Premier League or just in football in general and have players whipping the tops off all over the place and
2: and uh, God knows what else <laughs> for that extra ten k. Uh, well, whipping, whipping the top off, it, I I I mean I, I have a vague memory of when it became a booking a bookable offence. I don't really know why. I mean. What's so offensive? Like about? I
3: can see why, like say, jumping into the crowd could be seen to, you know, incite the crowd to do stuff that might be seen as dangerous. Someone,
2: someone its all a games, so someone loses an eye. Yeah, but you know, you're not going to take someone's eye out with a shirt. Yeah,
3: no, it it is ridiculous, but it's also ridiculous for any player to ever do to do that and pick up a yellow card. Yeah, I mean, both things can be ridiculous simultaneously.
2: Was it was it a yellow card when Ryan Giggs did it uh, in this FA Cup semi final?
3: Because I, I think so. it was
2: warranted. At that at that point, I think it was it was the right celebration.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, the celebration, yeah. yeah. yeah the yeah. FA Cup semi-final. I was, mean, yeah, it, know, it, it f- required something to
0: meet the moment, and I think that games yeah. came up with It also, moment. you know, we've talked about it before, but it was a seminal moment for any hairy-chested man out there to realise that not every single Premier League footballer actually shaves and waxes their chest. Yeah, born with no of course. Hair. It's, so. it's okay to have a little bit up there. Up you the owned that issue, you know, from that moment forth. And I think that, so I think no bookings if you've got a certain amount of hair in your chest.
2: There was, uh, there was a great performance. I I say great with with asterisk, great. And then at the bottom of the page, asterisk, it was against Sunderland. But a good performance by Arsenal against Sunderland, scoring four goals away from home. Um, City, Arsenal, Liverpool all did that over the weekend, actually. But um, Arsenal's, (laughs) I don't, maybe my favourite goal of the day was... So it was Arsenal's first goal against Sunderland. It was just, I mean, if you're looking for a goal that tells you everything that's wrong with a club, I mean, first of all, Sunderland are getting absolutely destroyed. I think there's 22 passes in the lead-up to the goal. So it's just, oh my God, we're running around like, um, you know, really slow dogs after the ball with no idea where, really old dogs who have who are not really that into the ball-chasing game as they as they used to when they were younger. And have no idea where the ball's about to go because they don't really understand the game. They are only dogs. Arsenal passing the ball around. Ball's moving down the right. Now John O'Shea, you can see, is standing. He's like the left of the two central defenders. And he's and he's looking out to the to what is his left back position. Which which Arsenal player it was, I can't remember. Maybe Oxford Chamberlain I'm not sure who who actually had the ball. But O'Shea looks behind him over his shoulder and he can see that his his buddy, Lamine Kone, is standing there. And also, Alexi Sanchez, the diminutive Chilean striker for Arsenal. Very diminutive. Uh, I mean, really tiny. He's a tiny little man. He's a power-packed little man, but he isn't, he's not a tall man.
0: No, he'd another man with, let say, a short hamstring in each leg.
2: Short, yeah. Short, short little hamstrings. Love center of gravity. Great dribbler. um, But small. Mm. Lamine Kone, big. Very big. Uh, John O'Shea looks around, sees this, looks back, points. as He's, he's, he's looking back. He's such a professional. He can point in the direction that he knows Sanchez is in, even without even having to look at him. He's like, that's your man. And then a couple of seconds later, as though he's not totally convinced that everything is going to be ship-shaped behind him, looks around again, sees Sanchez, and again, points. You can see all this. like It's mm-hmm. hilarious. And uh, then looks around, and the ball then comes across. And it's going to beat John Shea. It's going to go into that area. So now is when John O'Shea has to look around. And what he sees is Sanchez burying his uh, his central defensive partner with a header. <laughs> like He just runs, acro- runs across and in front of Kone, who doesn't really react, and scores this sensational header. And it's just... I mean, O'Shea. The camera sort of cuts away. I want, I want a full on. I want a full camera of what John O'Shea then says, Connie, because it was so. It was like, well, how can you let that happen? You knew it was the only thing that could happen, and you let it happen. You were beaten in, in the air by a guy who's like eight inches shorter than you. You can't. Like, it's just. How can how could how could you look? How could you look your teammates in the eye after that? But his positioning didn't look that bad.
0: Like he was in front of. He was goal side. Yeah. It's just that he seemed completely flat-footed and it was as though he thought oh, this will just be a fair fight for the ball now we'll both stand where we are and we'll both just jump up and head it and obviously as the bigger man I by will. the way where Sanchez just just darts in front of him and flicks this brilliant header by the Great way the finish was superb as well yeah, I, I, yeah. poor John O'Shea went off injured then not long after
2: unfortunately. yeah he did uh, a few Irish injuries actually um, uh, Shane Long is obviously injured at the moment James McCarthy John O'Shea and Stephen Ward went off injured at Old Trafford uh, and you know the game against Austria is in in less than two weeks, so that's so that's not great um but again with Arsenal you could see you could see this uh, thing of Sanchez is doing a similar playing up front in the same way Firmino is for Liverpool where he moves back and forth a lot like he moves he moves up and down the pitch a lot, and the defenders don't know whether to go with him and then every time he does someone else is moving in the opposite direction to the defense you know it's 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 working really well um, Wenger's saying. I mean, Giroud then comes on and scores two goals with his first two touches. It's just like, okay, it's not your day. Like, yeah. uh, I feel pity for him. Arsene Wenger <laughs> says of David Moyes, "Ouch." I saw a little bit of the analysis on Sky uh, after that game. It's Quinn and Henri, and they showed Moyes obviously, you know, fairly ashen face. Uh, and Quinn was asked, oh, "Do you, you know? Do you think there's a way back for Sunderland under David Moyes?" Now that they've made the worst 10 uh, game start to ever do a Premier League since the team that you actually played in now. But was it was Quinn still at the city in 95-96? I think he think he was. But um Quinn says, uh Yeah. Uh, but I think maybe he needs to take a different view on life. <laughs> All he needs to do is fundamentally change the way he looks at the world. <laughs> and then maybe there are you know there's a little shaft of light there at the end of this deep, deep, dark tunnel that Sunderland have found themselves in. Uh, I don't know. I think it's gonna, it's obviously going to be very... I think this is going to be the end for um, for Sunderland, to be honest, uh, in their, their 10 seasons in the Premier League. Chelsea? Uh, phenomenal, again. Um, Diego Costa, incidentally. I mean, Costa had kind of such a poor season last last season that you kind of were... Mm. I, I was a little bit surprised, actually, that they didn't sell him in the summer. I thought I kind of thought he might be leaving instead of which he is like reborn and then the the statistics um, that he'd scored his 40 uh, 40th Premier League goal I mean it's quite a lot you know considering he barely did anything last season to score 40 in his first in 64 games um, only five players have done it quicker than him which is incredible uh, do you know who they are can you name even three?
3: Okay, so this stat was on Matches of Day 2. So, so was this everywhere. is really only a, a case of testing our short-term short term memory. Andy Cole and Alan Shearer with 45 Correct. appearances and 40 goals. Correct. Okay, that's pretty much as far down that list as, as, as I actually got, unfortunately. You only but, need
2: to read number one. Andy Cole and Alan Shearer.
3: Yeah, uh,
2: Sergio Aguero? Sergio Aguero, not as quick as Thiago Costa. 71 games to score 40 goals. Thierry Henry, 73. Harry Kane and Teddy Sheringham, 74. Uh, Rude Van Nistelrooy? Ruud van Nistelrooy, 60 matches. Okay. I mean, that's, that's... So there's only one other player that's gotten... Two other players. Two other players. One of them used to play for Sunderland. Uh, yeah. Kevin Phillips. Kevin Phillips. Of course. Nice. Came up. And the other one was, was another... Uh, another goalie door imported from the same club as Diego Costa. Torres. Torres. Torres, yes. Torres and van Nistelrooy. We actually did all right there, Ron. Guys. Well, i let
0: you...
3: You take it. the lead Okay you can take the lead The next time Yeah, It's
2: pretty good John Terry left out of the team So he's just going to have to Suck on that And uh, <laughs> And they have 11 points More than they had At this point Last season Which is double the number of points Under their previous manager uh, Jose Mourinho now I feel I, I feel as though Again we don't want to just talk About Jose Mourinho all the time Because we're falling into his trap You see Uh but did you know that he had been sent off? That was his 13th sending off <laughs> as a manager. 13. It's a phenomenal number. It's like Z- Zidane, I think, finished with 14 red cards. I mean, a head-butting maniac. Jose Mourinho is, you know, is closing in on Zidane's record. Um, and it's
3: not like he's been managing for 40 years either. I mean, it's about it's roughly the length of a very successful... Playing career. Playing career.
2: Yeah. 2000, 2001. Um... Amazing, uh, but uh, there was there was an interesting comment made by you know Graham Paul, who used to be a referee, now he, now he does stuff for the Daily Mail. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about Mark Vattenberg, who was the referee whose decisions in the first half so annoyed Jose Mourinho, he's annoyed. particularly
0: not giving Darmian a penalty.
2: Darmian sh- probably should have had a penalty, but it was one of those where went down a little lazy, <laughs> yeah. So you could, you know, sometimes you get it, and I'm sure Manchester United will get a penalty along those lines at some point this season. But, you know, on this occasion, they didn't get it. But, you know, the way they were finishing, would they have scored? Who would have taken the penalty? Um, They had this unbelievable number of shots. I mean, it was quite different from some of their disappointing results uh, last season, where they would pass the ball around but never kind of shoot. I mean, last season, they were averaging, you know, just over eight shots a game. So this season, it's up to, like, 13. 13, It's a big, you know, it's nearly double. It's a good, well, it's it's more than 50% more per game. What? Why are you laughing?
3: Sorry, just almost double was, to be fair, a little. A little bit of an exaggeration. It's fine. No, it's
2: fine. Why exaggerate when you've got the numbers? Yes. Um, but, so they're, so they're taking shots, but not really, uh, okay, obviously not scoring. Um, players, Zlatan Ibrahimovic particularly, playing badly. Um, but this decision from Connberg so annoyed Mourinho. And you know that face. You know Mourinho's... I, the way he behaves when he just hasn't got a penalty that he should be given, and he's got this horrible smile, which he brings out for this—it's this horrible, horrible. This is what the world is really like. Smile, you know. I'm again. I'm again. I'm being stitched up here. Um, but you know, so no one. Rui Faria ended up having to go and do the the post match stuff. Jose wouldn't wasn't bothered doing it once he'd been sent off. And he wouldn't say what it was that he would say. But clearly, you know, he was annoyed about this penalty. What, uh, what Graham Paul said about Clattenburg was quite quite a serious thing, really, to say about a referee. He says, Everton fans will testify that Clattenburg has an Achilles heel, which is that he gives nothing to a side once their fans turn against him. Oof. That's, I mean, that's... Wow. That's, that's fairly bitchy, isn't it? Like, ooh, like... So Clattenburg I mean, is like... And it's
3: not like, you know, this is a you know, a, a once-a-season thing that might happen, Mark Clattenburg, yeah. that a crowd would get on his back. It's I mean, like I would presume that, that Every happens. game. Yeah, every <laughs> single game. So in every single game, Mark Lattenberg referees, he takes a bias, conscious or otherwise, to one of those teams.
2: Yeah, he just listens to the reaction of the crowd. And if one of the sets of fans sounds like it's maybe getting a little bit, you know, um, truculent, then he just punishes. He punishes them. Uh, Statistically, withholding penalties and and inflicting all kinds of this is what Graham Paul claims. Anyway, I say I haven't noticed that about Clattenburg before. He refers to a Merseyside derby in 2007 in which Clattenburg uh, blatantly started ignoring offences by Liverpool players against Everton players. <laughs> I, I, maybe he did. I guess, I'm not sure. Um, but you know what was what was the difference really between Marie, uh, Jose Mourinho's team and all the teams ahead? And it's this, it's this issue of movement. Um, it, it's not really happening. I mean, for instance, you see Marcus Rashford get the ball. Marcus Rashford hasn't scored in six games now, or something. And he's playing on the left wing, but it's such a it's a really restricted kind of left wing role. It's it's he gets the ball, and the job is to sort of dribble past players, and it's it's he's he's so isolated. You don't see players. Uh, close to him in positions where he can actually combine where they can play a one-two where it's it's kind of okay you have the ball now you go for it. It's so kind of old school. It really is. It's like I'm not even talking ten years ago old school. I mean like 1950s old old school. You know the idea of like give it to the winger, he'll get to the byline, stick it in and you know and we'll we'll bundle ball and goalkeeper into the net. It's it's making Rashford look bad. It's easy to defend against for other teams it's it looks like where are the ideas well oh,
0: it was freakish on Saturday though I mean they, they well, did, did Saturday Slatan yeah. alone had 12 shots on goal or 12 shots anyway
2: 12 shots yeah Tw- Saturday was unlucky yeah uh, but they were only playing against Burnley I mean that's a that's a that's a three point banker.
0: A Burnley team who didn't actually play very well. No. <laughs> they weren't keeping the ball or anything.
2: I mean, I was watching Hendrick, obviously, with, with interest, just to see, and he couldn't get into this game at yeah. all. You know what I mean? He was just...
0: Uh, he looked quite laborious, actually.
2: Yeah, he, he he couldn't get close to the ball. He was kind of a, a bystander. I mean, it's difficult when, when you to say that about a player who's playing for an inferior team, uh, you know, at Old Trafford. It's... You know, to criticise them because they didn't really dictate the game <laughs> is, is a bit harsh. I mean, H- Hendrick was... Putting himself about, like in terms of, he was a lot of the time standing in front of the Manchester United player who had the ball. I mean, that's doing something. That is, that is affecting the game. I mean, you're I'm blocking his line of vision. <laughs> yeah, he's the. But you know, he, it wasn't necessarily the game where he got to showcase the full extent of his uh, skills.
0: Hopefully, we'll see that in uh, in Vienna in a couple of weeks' time.
2: I'll give you the unvarnished account of what happened. Will I? There was a train at like one o'clock back to Paris arrived at the station in Saint-Étienne, before that train was due to go, to find Utter Bedlam. The seat numbers weren't being respected, it was with an air of foreboding. I went to find Class 41, and as I expected, it already contained a tired looking England fan, Geordie man, probably in his late twenties. He knew why I had come, and I looked at him sternly and waggled my ticket and said, sorry mate, it's actually my seat. And he said, sorry, mate, we've actually just been told to sit anywhere. The seat numbers don't count. Basically tough shit. I've sulked and stomped around a little bit and complained and sent angry text messages to people who didn't care. Then I thought, there's no point in just sitting here. Who knows what might happen? Possession was now 100% of the law. You have to go and find someone else whose seat you can take. So I started walking along the train, and in the very end carriage, there was a couple of empty seats. Huh. I thought, that's interesting. I went on to the first empty seat I saw. And tried to sit down. The England planter said, sorry, mate. Our friend's there. So I said, OK. Moved up. Went to the next empty seat. Sat down. Guy next to it. No complaints. Well, the situation seems to have changed. I'm now one of the haves rather than the have-nots. A few minutes later, as I suspected it might, the previous the seat came along and said, sorry, mate. That's my seat. And I said, sorry, mate. My seat is actually what you class 41, but there's someone sitting in it, so I just came and sat in this seat, which, which is an occupied, there's a lot of us in the same boat, and he said, but that's ridiculous, I've just gone to the canteen and I got this orangina, and I said, I oh, know, I'm really sorry, it's really unfair, the system is a total shambles, he walked away saying the word tosser, I felt bad for the guy, maybe he didn't realise that he was in the jungle, he still thought he was on the train, but this was actually a jungle, and I thought to myself, well, I can't really complain about that characterization of my behaviour at this moment. However, I do have a seat and I don't think anyone saw.
0: Miguel Delaney, we're going to talk about a team that have been cruelly overlooked on this podcast this season up until now. They're the only unbeaten side in the league with the best defence, but they haven't won in five games now in all competitions and they've drawn the last three in the league. I'm speaking, of course, of Tottenham Hotspur, who you saw draw one all uh, with Leicester, one all over the weekend. I can't quite decide if if Spurs have been quite solid this and quite impressive so far this season or a little bit disappointing?
1: Um, I would maybe say the last three games, anyway, slightly disappointing. I mean, even you were saying they about kind of under-discussing under them. I mean, it was quite strange because I suppose with the, with the start of the season, all the new managers coming in, they did kind of go under the radar. And then suddenly they were second in the table unbeaten. And when, and, and, and just to the point where people started to take notice again, they beat Man City, which is probably one of the best performances of season so far. But well, in his press conference on Saturday afterwards, Pochettino brought up... Um, you know, this is, He's maybe stretching things a little here, but he said that what was what they, were, how they were quite unlucky that they had that best performance season against City, but then immediately suffered the international break, which took away their momentum. But I suppose everyone had that international break. But I think what he's getting at is that he maybe had them at a certain rhythm. And then it's kind of lost, because the last three games... I mean, Saturday was almost kind of the extreme of the, of the last three games, in which... They do what Spurs do quite well, have a lot of the ball and kind of you know overpower a team to the point of pushing them back. But it's all a little bit blunt force. Uh, without without Harry Kane, there's doesn't just there's not much end, end product there. And I think that that happened actually a lot last season, in which they would kind of they quote unquote batter a team one nil. I mean that, that was what some, someone around the club said because because it's almost like there's all, all this kind of hustle bustle, but then not too much precision to it. And they need someone with like the intelligence of Kane's movements. To, to, to actually properly open a team. And it probably doesn't help at the moment either that so many of their main attackers do look a little off-form. I mean, Ericsson isn't going to be playing the way he was even about a month ago. And particularly towards the end of last season, De- Dele Alley is n- not not scoring as much. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're a solid team and they'll give you problems. But at the moment, there's, there's something a bit off of them. And I, and I would worry about them in the sense that this issue with, with scoring goals also relates to the issue of transforming draws into wins. Because I think Saturday was their 18th, Draw since August 2015 it was just the start of last season, which is more than anyone in the Premier League in that time.
2: Mm. And it was interesting then, in that context, to hear uh, Pochettino single out Christian Eriksen for a bit of criticism. I mean, given that Eriksen is maybe their, you know, their most sort of intelligent or creative attacker. I mean, he's a, he's a guy who more than any other player in that team, maybe is going to actually find an unexpected angle uh, or create an opportunity. And here was Pochettino actually singling him out, saying he needs to improve. He needs to be more determined to score. I wondered was he was he was he having a pop at Eriksson or, or seeming to do that to deflect a bit of attention away from the lump of um, ineptitude that is Vincent Janssen.
1: <laughs> there was a little bit actually because Janssen's performance was brought up, and um, immediately Pochettino goes, "No, it's not about the striker. It's about it's about the second line behind the striker. We need to be, you know, show more determination and aggression that way." In fact, the way he spoke about it, actually, I think. I remember a few years ago, Roy Keane was talking about what what might have been Darren Gibson or some midfielder, some midfielder how need to improve, and it was like he, he couldn't quite articulate what what he wanted to do. Like he was talking about, you know, a lot of these um, emotional aspects, like you know, like, like aggression, determination. Without kind of giving much insight into how they can see seize the game, um, because I think the the one thing Spurs almost have an overload of is is aggression, and you just. I mean, Ericsson last season, when he was at his best, he he did offer, as you say, the, the, those angles. But yeah, it, it it doesn't help that Janssen's up front, um, because I think at the moment he doesn't really fit their game. He's got three goals, so those first goals in the Premier League and his third of the season, and they've all been penalties. And I mean, it, it is like with Kane, why he suits that team so well is because he he will offer that different, like his movement, the amount of times he'll pop up somewhere that you didn't you didn't expect. He just had that knack to get around a defender. I think I think it's probably Kane's best quality, whereas Janssen. Doesn't have that at all. I mean, you're kind of at slow races between Shane Duffy and uh, the um, Bugayev. There was a little bit of that on Saturday between between Janssen and Wes Morgan and Robert Hooth.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what they were thinking when they signed him because you only have to watch him for thirty seconds and you can see two things about him. One, he's a big lad. Two, yeah. <laughs> he's not a, he's not the quickest lad. You no, know? oh, yeah. It, it's he's, not. It's, uh... You don't really have to analyse very deeply. To, to really pour through reams of uh, reams of data to see that this guy can't really run. And it's just a strange decision from a team like Tottenham, whose whole game is about this kind of frenetic pace, yeah. to sign a player like that.
1: The, the one thing, I, I suppose, some of the thinking in signing him was just to not necessarily have a direct replacement for Harry Kane, but to have an alternative option on games when it, when it wasn't happening for Kane. Because I, mean, I suppose he does give him something like that. And the one thing about Janssen, I mean, you can talk to people at Spurs, um... One of his qualities from from Holland, I suppose, was that if, if you provide him with the with the with the service, he, he he's he is a good goal machine. Yeah, but, but Ricky van, Ricky van Wolfswinkel
2: and, was the same. You know, I mean, if you if you gave Ricky van Wolfs, Wolfswinkel the ball six yards <laughs> out, like he banged in the net six times out of ten. You know, he yeah, but, to be able but, to do but, more but, than that. But,
1: but the point the point being that I, I can't really see a situation when Spurs are actually going to play that way unless it's the last five minutes of a game when it's you know they're one 0 down or it's or it's wood all. So I think that's the option they have. but but it does expose the fact that they still have and it was an issue right through last season as well. They don't really have anyone to to stand in for Kane when he's um when he's out and he's he's been out actually quite a few times in that in that time as well.
2: I I do think the the whole aggression uh line that Pochettino was pushing the other day is 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 really quite interesting actually because number one as you said they don't really seem to have a shortage of that. I mean I I remember yeah. how the the game against Chelsea last year was it was that amazing libertadores style end to the season. Where they just went mad and lost Dembele yeah. for most of the start of this season because of his crazy ban that he got, um, but it's like it does it does seem a little bit to be Pochettino's answer to everything almost. Yeah, it's just it's just to be more of a bastard.
1: Yeah, I, 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 that's pretty much it. Yeah, um, and even on that, like we before the City game when we were when we were talking. We, we're talking about his time with Espanol and, and Barcelona. One of the journalists actually got out a little clip on, on YouTube of um, when Pacino absolutely hammered Ronaldo with a tackle, and he was loving it. <laughs> you know, kind of uh, admiring the, the aggression of himself, and kind, of, kind of, <laughs> of chuckling about it. Uh, we, I, I think, I, I think there's a little bit of um, one potential problem at Spurs. Out, I think this was this was often related to, to Conte as well. In with, with, with Juventus, and it can be a problem with these kind of super high-intensity teams, that be, because of the way they play, it actually doesn't really allow for the kind of maybe the, preci- the, the precision to elevate them. You, 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 it's almost like you can't have one without, or you can't have one and have the other.
2: I'm not sure. So kind of, I'm not sure about that, Miguel. Because I mean, when you look at uh, Chelsea and Liverpool, the way that they're playing, and, and Arsenal, I would say, and, and I suppose City, are kind of similar. Like, like all these teams at the top, we were kind of. Talk a bit about that. There's, there's a certain similarity, I guess, to the to the way they play. They are all very intense in their approach. And some of those teams, particularly Liverpool and Chelsea, don't seem to have this problem with uh, precision that, that Spurs have been displaying.
1: I think it's, it's more related to maybe the issue of, of the way Spurs press. I mean, even Conte, so far at Chelsea, they're not quite quite as full on in terms of how pressing teams in, in the way he was with the events. I mean, they're just trying to try and batter them back and kind of hope for the opening. like yesterday against Hampton was kind of a perfect case I think they were quite clinical in what they did and almost going kind to of use Southampton's strengths against them and I did not know a few times this season also with United last week um Liverpool I think Klopp, Klopp probably does allow a bit more elaboration whereas with the way Spurs play in waves in that way it's like it's as you say, it's almost classic um <laughs> libertadoray but, it, but it's it's also maybe I mean without getting to uh, Jonathan Wilson I apologize, Jonathan. but it is kind of you know the uh Almost an evolution of Bielsa's pressing with the way Pochettino plays now, and uh, you know, the 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 whole idea is, especially with, with those fullbacks running forward, with, with the with the aggression of that of that, high, uh, of that second line, as Pochettino said, and the way they put, I mean, they you, they kind of want to force you to play the game in, in the twenty meters near your own goal, and that's happened so many times where as as that when, when they're at their best, you know, games can end up like you know pinball in the box. But because of that high energy, it, 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 it is very difficult to slow it down for that key moment. And, and, and the goals often come from chaos in the air. I mean, I was at one game last season, Watford, in which uh, Watford's all manager Kike Suarez was talking about Spurs with the best team he played. They, you know, they he said they were animals in the way they went at us. But again, that was only one nil. It was similar when I think we played Bournemouth last season, and it, the key or it was it But the key goal anyway, it was, it was one of the lower sides, and the key goal was kind of just eventually the ball is bouncing in the box. Kane just sticks a leg out and there it is and there's a little bit too much they, 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 they're able to get to a, it's as if they're able to get to a certain point in the pitch but then when they're there they find it difficult to suddenly just um, change the frequency a bit
0: Yeah but I suppose if you're being optimistic about it from a Spurs point of view they have the defensive side of it sorted in a manner yeah. that no other team does that goal against Leicester I mean, they wouldn't be too happy with that from a defensive point of view but it's the first outfield goal they've conceded all season it's taken them 10 games
1: yeah and, and it was probably just a little bit of maybe kind of get get him a bit cold after half time and I that was actually probably quite clever from Leicester as well that they we they used Vardy's pace. Why are they we, why are they so hard to score against them again? What Barca game as well because we we're, we're invariably talking about the uh, style of play um and that kind of pressing and high lines. Well I mean if you look at uh, what, what, one of the flaws of Guardiola's team is right throughout his career has always been they give you a chance in the sense that because of that high line they they allow themselves they give away a, a quite a high number of one on ones on their on their keeper and it was actually it was an issue with Spain who played a similar system I mean if you remember the 2010 World Cup final and Robin broke through twice but Spurs apart, apart from Saturday don't usually allow that because because the defense is going it's structured in different in a different way it's stronger but I mean on the whole I suppose even this system it, it'll probably be good enough for Spurs for 80 percent of the season 85 percent of the season but uh, the difference with them now it's it's about since. since during the conversation as to whether they can actually win the title, that's when it's going to come down to these maybe little tweaks and little changes.
2: Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, you have seen a lot of Tottenham, I think, over the last couple of years since yeah, Pochettino yeah. came in. I don't know if, if they were and, and, seen... and,
1: and twice again this week as well. they will be there on Wednesday and Sunday.
2: So you're kind of, you you are, you know, you're along for the ride, Miguel. I mean, uh, you are on the, the Pochettino Express. You've been you've been a passenger since day one, and I mean you've you've got to learn a lot. <laughs> you've got to learn a lot about um, about who was kind of a mysterious figure, I suppose. When yeah. he started, you know, he, he didn't used to speak English in his interviews and so on. But I suppose you've got to, the chance to learn a lot more about him. I mean, what have you learned about him? Say uh, that you didn't know this time last year.
1: Um, good question. Actually, <laughs> I'm sorry. I suppose much more about his work. But I, the, the one thing one thought that has developed i think he could be a little bit of a van gaal in the sense that i mean there's all been there's been all this talk about him potentially going to united next you know ferguson's made himself, made himself known as admire pochettino i know one of the glazers likes pochettino but the one issue i can even i i think a little like van gaal pochettino might need young players to properly enact his way and if it's if they're players over a certain age or at certain points in their career, they're not going to be as ready to give in to the type of football that really makes them, um, or they have to be a, cer- a certain type, a certain type of character. I mean, you know, there's been, there's been also been talk about him potentially going to Real Madrid. Can, can you can you imagine him trying to get James Rodriguez or Gareth Bale to play this? You know, well, well he is almost quite a slavish um, approach that he has.
2: Mm. Yeah, well, I suppose Van Hal is or Pochettino now is the same age Van Hal was when he won the Champions League with Ajax, so he might be yeah. the. You know, this is he's in his prime years, there's no doubt. But, I mean, when you look at the league at the moment, it is quite interesting the way that it is shaping up with these five teams kind of breaking clear at the top. Um, you know, them on 23 points and Chelsea and uh, Spurs just in behind. I mean, the standard at the top of the league, I mean, the standard at the bottom of the league is as low as it's ever been. You know, Sunderland have, have less points than anyone's ever got at this stage. But at the top, teams are doing pretty well. Um do you think that the standard of that race is, is as high as ever?
1: Um, I don't think it's as high as I would have expected, actually, with, at the, before the season with all these new managers coming in. I think a lot of the teams still have um, a fairly big weakness they have to fix. And, and really, if you look at it, what teams do you say are maybe playing to something close to their top level? I don't, I don't think City I think they may be short three players near Guardiola's death. I'd say, best I'd say, and say still Arsenal, and
2: Chelsea are all playing close think, to their potential.
1: Um, yeah, probably probably the potential of that personnel. But I, I think once Conte again brings in a, a few more of his own signings, you'll we'll see more more of a Conte team. L- Liverpool are probably the closest in that sense. And you imagine Klopp has so- something closer to his, um, to, his be- to his best. He maybe someone during, during the week. Someone at Liverpool was telling me about how what was what they were impressed by with Klopp last season was how he didn't rush in the first window. He he actually wanted to wait to get the right signings in, and that's I think that's going to be such a, a big issue with so many of these new managers. And, and maybe the difference could be in who rushes in signings, who's actually a bit patient. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I, I don't think it's quite top quality yet. I think I think this, this a little bit like last season, not as pronounced as last season, um, and given that last season allowed for one of the greatest freaks in English history to ever happen, but so, one of, this could come down to who fixes their big weakness uh, quickest. I mean, and I suppose Liverpool's one potential big big weakness is um, whether they can sustain the energy of their football and whether they they run out of steam by April. Because at the moment, beyond the defence, would they're able to cover that? Uh, because of the goals they score, they don't already have a weakness.
0: Michael, great to talk to you. Thanks a million.
1: Cheers, lads. Uh-huh.
3: So Sam Cook, as you can see, like me, he's awful pretty, <laughs> and we are here now working on a record called "The Gang's All Here." And uh, uh, Sam and I, we expect to have this out in another week or so.
0: Would you like to give us uh, a preview of this disc? We'll do a lot better if we had the music here with us. We're going to do it. We'll we'll try now. Hey, hey, the gang's all here. Join in the
3: fun. (laughs) Hey, hey, the gang's all here.
0: We're going to swing as one. (laughs) It's Memphis with me. Yeah, a little taste and a little twist on our promo video for the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2 there. That How many
2: times have Muhammad Ali performed that song? It's I a mean, catchy tune, I'd say that. You think?
3: Well, I would say probably just once or twice. Yeah. Once for the BBC, once in the recording studio, and then uh, Ed Sullivan, maybe. sit back, relax, and watch the royalties roll in.
0: Big news, if you've ordered a copy of the book, it's completely done. It's ready to go. It arrives into our office tomorrow. And we'll start shipping them out straight away. If you haven't already ordered, what the hell is going on here? Free postage and packaging within Ireland and the UK. Very reasonable postage packaging to the rest of the world. We're getting that one shipment in tomorrow. And that's it, so get on it, that's mm. my
3: advice. Uh, I've, I've seen an advance copy, on, and uh, it was a delight to be able to cast my eyes over the old photographs of Ken and Marseille. You know, the the old memories that came flooding back. We'll probably never see It's like, you know, the characters have gone out of the game, Owen. You know, you don't see people like Ken Early playing the game anymore. Uh, and while he flamed across the sky like a comet for an all-too-brief period, it's it's nice that his the, the memories of that time in his life are memorialised in
0: our book. com, get on and order a book. It, does it even count as a pre-sale anymore? It's a sale, really, I suppose, if you're going to get on there. And we'll have them in tomorrow. Ken, the, mm-hmm. uh, you seem more impressed than Miguel with the quality of the... Fair at the top end of the Premier League so far this season. He doesn't seem too blown away by it.
2: Um, well, I think the I think those five teams are all playing really good football. I mean, how long that's going to last? I don't know. I'm sure we'll, a couple of them will flame out, uh, fall to pieces with injuries and and whatnot. But I, I, I couldn't pick a winner. I really couldn't pick a winner at the moment. It could be any of those things. Well, I think that Tottenham are the least likely actually of the of the top five, just because they're having this problem scoring. It just seems harder for them to score than for everyone else. But um I could see any of any of them I I still wouldn't be hugely surprised if they were if they were there at the end. So I, I can't remember the last time that you have that many teams who are kind of you know, credibly winners of the title. Yeah, it's
0: potentially a different kind of excitement from last year,
2: which ended up as a
0: <laughs> bit of a procession <laughs> for Leicester City, less we forget. Uh, right, that's it. I hope you enjoyed this Bank Holiday football podcast. Even if it wasn't a bank holiday, wherever you are, our next pod will be out on Tuesday to accommodate our interview with Col McCarran, the Toronto footballer, who has brought out a hell of an autobiography. If you like your sports books dark and confessional then you'll love this one, but it is a really tough read. I was about to say at times, it's a tough read most of the time, to be honest with you. He details his gambling addiction that led to some really bad places, including a film set in London where he took part in a gay porn movie, which um, ended up becoming public knowledge and sort of destroyed his life for a period. But McCarran has put things back together. He's in recovery and he's going to pop into studio tomorrow, Tuesday, to talk to us about his story. That's it. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, o. Thanks, Tom Selleck. Thank you, on and Ken. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go
2: home. Does just...